All right, Father God, uh, we come to you right now, and we come to say thank you for the freedoms that we have, that we do have freedom of travel. We can go where we want to go. We can pursue the careers we want to pursue. We can, um, we can say the things we want to say. By and large, Lord, we have this, uh, this great blessing of freedom of speech. Thank you for all of these freedoms. Father, we recognize that ultimately you created us for freedom. But we recognize, too, that ultimately that, that freedom comes through your son, Jesus. And so we thank you for the freedom he gives. But, Lord Jesus, you said there's no greater love that one can have for another than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And so we thank you also, Father, for all those over the years, over the centuries, the men and the women who have given their lives to protect the freedoms that we have. We thank you for that. Thank you for them. Most of all, Lord, we, we come and we ask you on behalf of our nation that you would release revival, that you would release a spirit across our land that would begin to open people's eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. That whatever their background, whatever their belief system, whether they're atheists or whether they're uh, just nominal uh, church-going Christians, but nothing more than that, or whether they're Hindu or Muslim or whatever, Lord, we ask for just an outpouring of revelation across this land so that people would have dreams And in their dreams, they'll encounter Jesus. And they'll wake up the next morning and they'll know that whatever they believe to this point, Jesus is King and Lord. And Lord, we pray with that, that there would just be this sweeping revival across this land, not to bless our homeland, not to make us more secure or anything like that, but Lord, to bless the rest of the world. Lord, let revival start here and let it go out from here to the rest of the world. To honor the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you give us that great task of bringing freedom to this whole world, this whole planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Be seated, please. Well, you know, we've been uh, talking about uh, the Freedom Project the last um, six weeks. We had four messages. And then we had two weeks of all worship weekend where our whole focus was on worship. And then in the, between the two weeks, we had worship here at the church uh, Monday night through Friday night, which was really, really awesome. It was an incredible blessing. But um, we're going to continue with the Freedom Project theme today and next week. And, and I believe there's a challenge that God has for us that God's spoken, which I'll share with you next week, that God's given, giving to us as a church. And uh, I'll roll that out next week as, as we meet and, and, and uh, continue this theme of the Freedom Project. But um, today what I want to do is acknowledge, first of all, the uh, devotionals. Uh, Sarah Anderson wrote them. Sarah did a great job. Uh, there are still some devotionals in the back there. If you didn't get one, uh, take one. If you got, took one and lost it, grab another. If you want to give one to a friend, take it as well as the uh, memory cards. Uh, Rob Clippard produced and provided those memory cards for us. We did that so that they were the size of business cards, so that you could stick them in your wallet. And uh, there are, we have a lot of them, 
And um, the, the way they're produced, we ended up with, with more than we actually needed. And so feel free to grab a dozen of them. Take them, give them away. They're just nice little cards. Some of them say things like risk on them. Then they have a great verse on that on the back. Uh, obedience with a great verse on the back. And so uh, please avail yourselves of those and, uh, and uh, pick those up. Now, if you remember the first two weeks of the uh, Freedom Project, we did a survey. And uh, the results of the survey are back on the kiosk. So and on, as you're going out either on your right or your left... Before you exit this room, the, the surveys are there, just a little half sheet with the results. You can read that, see what you make of it. Um, if you have any great insights, pass them along, okay? Uh, we're still looking it over and trying to, trying to understand how some of the aspects of it fit together. But um, uh, please pick those up. Well, awesome. It's awesome to see you all here today. Are you glad you're here? Yeah. yeah. All right. Me too. Uh, I have something here. Lori and I were cleaning out our storeroom last week, spent a couple evenings working on that. And actually, I had thought about this uh, the day before. And then when we we're cleaning out the storeroom and we come to the box that says Van's Old Junk, um, <laughs> this was in it. Anybody know what that is? Watch band. A watch band. Anybody here, here around in the 60s? You know, we wore watch bands like this. And uh, we, they were really cool. And... Uh, anybody here have a really a great olfactory system that you can smell really well? Who does? Okay, Marianne, come up here. All right, now, this obviously smells like old leather, but there is another distinct smell on this. Do you mind? Okay. What do you smell? There is another smell. You don't know what it is? A barn. Okay, that's about as close as anyone's gotten so far. Thank you. Uh, Daryl Turnbow, who's a fireman, smelled it, and he immediately said smoke. And so the old barn smell, that's, that's close enough. It, it smells like an old burnt log. That, that's what I smell in it, and that's what Daryl smelled in it. And I want to tell you, the last time I wore this was about 1968, uh, 47 years ago. I was 17 years old. I was on a forest firefighting crew in my hometown, and we would go out, and probably in the two years I was on it, we probably fought 25 fires, maybe more than that. But most of them were little grass fires or leaf fires that were pretty easy to handle and put out. There were a couple that were moderate, but there was this one that was a real forest fire. And it started on a Saturday morning, uh, someone burning um, trash, the foot of a hill called Tank Hill, and their fire got away from them, and it was slowly working its way up the hill and spreading out when we were called. So we got to the base of this hill, and they're passing out all the equipment. And uh, what we would use would be these rakes, with uh, not with tines, you know, not like little tines sticking down, but uh, the rakes had big teeth, you know, like a pumpkin, you know, like really big teeth, so you could really dig in. And, and the goal of the, the rakes was we would get ahead of the fire, and you would clear a fire line. You know, some of the guys would have axes, shovels, and stuff like that. And then these, most of the guys had these rakes. Now, there was also another uh, implement that we used called an Indian tank. And can we see a picture of the Indian tank here? All right, that's an Indian tank. Five gallons of water. You see those straps? You put those straps over your shoulders. You carry it on your back. 
And then the hose was a pump that you could use to spray water. Now, whoever had that on their back was going to be like at the center of the action. That, that was the person that was going to be where, wherever the fire's burning, wherever is jumping the line that we've, that we've cut, the guy with that on his back is going to be the guy that's called upon to come and put it out. And so I always wanted that. <laughs> I, I always wanted to be where it was the hottest, where it was the most dangerous. I didn't understand the depth of the danger, but wherever it was hottest, wherever it was most dangerous, wherever it was most dramatic... So on this day, because we had to climb this really steep hill, there was no one else competing for the Indian tank. And so I got to it first, and I got it on, and, we, and I carried it up that hill. And we got to the top, and we cut our fire line and um, did well with that. Fire came right up to it, and then the wind picked up, and it jumped in one spot. And the, the guy that was uh, covering that spot tried to put it out with his rake, and it spread. And by the time he called out for help and I got there with the Indian tank, it was too late and it was spreading. It got into this brush. And then we were having flames that were shooting, you know, up over our heads. And then it got into the grapevines. There was a canopy of grapevines and it shot up the trees into those and they're catching on fire. And I don't mean to be melodramatic, but we really did have to run for our lives. I mean, it really, and, and at the time, it was an adventure. It wasn't like, wow, we could have died there today. But it was just like, wasn't that cool? It was so exciting. But um, the, the fire was raging. The, the underbrush was burning. The trees were burning. And, um, and, and, and we really had to run. And I went home that night, got home about 12 o'clock that night, just collapsed in bed. Next morning, I got up, and I was going to put my wristwatch on. And I smelled it, and I thought, that smells like fire. And that was the last time I wore it because it, it didn't smell good. But um, what I was doing, and, and I think what was happening in my life, is I, I always wanted to be on the edge. I wanted to be the closest to whatever the big thing that was happening was. I, I wanted to be in the most dangerous spot. And I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to get close to something that was so big and so powerful that it would be like God-like to me. Because, you know, we're all created with this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And, and I, wa- I wanted to be close to the big, dangerous, awesome thing because I really wanted to be in God's presence. And that fire was, it has this, they have this like God-like feel to them because they're so powerful and unstoppable. But the simple truth is, what I was trying to fill my soul up with, what I was trying to find to satisfy my soul, never will. The only place our souls are ever satisfied, the only place they're ever filled up is when they're filled up with worship. Because we were created to worship. We were designed to worship. We were designed to worship the living God. And he is greater and bigger than anything we can imagine in this life. That's, that's what fills the soul. That's what gives us a prosperous soul. And that's what the series we're talking about here is, the prosperous soul. That verse in second, uh, third John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now, it's our desire 
that we understand what that means because he's talking about prosperity across the board in life, in relationships, in our work, in our health even. And, and he says, may all those things prosper as your soul prospers. And so we better understand what does it mean to have a prospering soul? What does it mean to thrive at a soul level? Because if I don't get that right, then I can keep praying and, oh, God, bless me here, bless me here. But, but he wants us to have our, our souls prosper. And as our souls prosper, what happens is we are able to see him more clearly. Because, you see, we're designed to worship because God is seeking worshipers. Our souls prosper as we become worshipers. In John chapter 4, Jesus said this. Put it real clearly. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Okay, God is seeking worshipers. Now, I said this last week, but I want to repeat it. God is not seeking worship. It doesn't say God is seeking worship. God is somehow incomplete in himself, and he needs us to worship him to somehow uh, build him up. No, it's not like that. God's not like an egotist who, who needs to have people fawn over him. No, he's complete in himself. But he created us to worship, and he designed us to worship. And because of that, we all worship something. When I was 17 years old, I was worshiping adventure and whatever thrill I could find. Some of us worship a relationship or our job. Some of us worship money or possessions or some prized possession that we have. But here's the thing. We are designed to worship God and nothing else. Now, if we're designed to worship God, and we know God's good, we know God loves us, we know that he wants the best for us, that's what we're saying when we're saying he's good, then being a worshiper must be a good thing for me somehow. And it is, first of all, because that's when I am fulfilled. It's the only time I'm fulfilled in life. We reach our, we reach our highest level of fulfillment in life as worshipers of the living God. But there's more than that. Because the way we're designed, we become whatever we worship. That's the way God created us. That's the way God designed us. We become whatever we worship. So if I worship a relationship with a guy or a girl, and that is not what God created me to do, then that relationship, just by definition, is going to be twisted somehow. It's not going to be right because God never created me to worship a girl or to worship a guy. But if that's what I'm doing, just by definition, that relationship's going to be twisted and it's going to twist me. If I worship God, worshiping God is the thing we're created for. And when we worship him, what happens is we become like him because we become like what we worship. 1 John 3 says that when Jesus returns, we'll see him fully as he is, and so we will be changed into his likeness. We'll become like him because we'll see him as he is. Right now, we see him, but we don't see him fully or completely. 
Second Corinthians tells us that as the veil is taken away and we see Jesus more fully, that we are changed into his image. And it says from grace to grace, that means step at a time. The more I see of him, the more I become like him. And so I, I have a new revelation and of understanding of who he is. And in that, saying yes to that, I become more like him. And so God calling us to be worshipers is, uh, it, it mean, it blesses God and it honors God and it ministers to God just like uh, when my children love me, it ministers to me. But it does something to us. It changes us to be like Jesus. And that's the point. That's the whole point of worship is that we become like Jesus. Now, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but the soul and the spirit and the body to understand. Uh, uh, there's a verse that says that uh, we, we exist as spirit, soul, and body in 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. It says that. And so to understand what is the soul, I want, I want to just take a moment and say what the spirit is. And the way I defined the spirit, the way I defined it a couple weeks ago is the spirit is that deepest inner part of me. It's my deepest inner core. And it is the part that when I accepted Jesus, it got changed and didn't look back. No regrets there in my spirit. It's completely renovated, and the Holy Spirit has free access to my spirit. And because of that, my spirit is always drawing me to God. My spirit is always saying, let's go worship. Turn off the TV. Let's turn on some worship music. Don't read that. Let's read the Bible, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show something new. You know, let's worship, let's honor God, let's know God, let's love God more. That's in my heart, my deep, deep, deep spirit. That's, that's what he's always saying. Now, my soul, the way I would define it is, the soul is kind of like the next layer out. It's wrapped around my spirit. And the soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. Now, my soul, when I accepted Jesus, it was born again too. It was changed. But what that means is that it was given new capacities. Whereas before I couldn't see God. Once I got saved now with my mind, the spirit of my mind, the, 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 my heart, Paul refers to it as the eyes of our heart. The eyes of our mind is like the eyes of our heart. I can see God. Now I can perceive him. I can know who he is. I can understand who he is. I can engage with him in relationship and the, the mind and the will and the emotions, they're the part that either say yes or no to the spirit, in, to my spirit. My spirit's jumping up and down with excitement saying, let's go, let's, go, let's go to worship for both services this weekend. And my mind is saying, eh, maybe, maybe not. My mind is the one that responds to that and says yes or no. And the more we say yes, then the more clear vision we have of God and the more we see Jesus, the more we become like him. And that's God's intent. And so this whole thing of spirit, mind, and body, though, tracks back into the idea of um, worship and into, back into the idea of uh, the Freedom Project and our desire to be free from the things that kind of grip our lives here in this world, which uh, we're going to get to uh, here in just a moment. But... Um, the idea that 
the body, some people will say, and I've heard people say this, they've said, well, God doesn't care about what I do. He only cares about my heart because God's merciful. God is merciful, but he didn't create you to do that. So he cares about whether you do that or not because that's going to kill you. That's going to mess your life up if you do that. He cares about that. He cares about what you do with the, the things you have under your control because if you, if you have the wrong attitude towards them, it's going to kill you. And so he does care about that. And it's not, he cares about our hearts, but it's not just the heart. And let me show you this. In Romans 12, does that make sense what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever heard anybody say that? They excuse some outward failure by all God cares about is the heart. And, and listen, we never want to judge people. And if there is an outward failure, it's just all grace and mercy and love, but it's also come on back. Yeah, recognize that, that, that was, that's not what Jesus had for you. That's not what he wanted. Come on back. And so it's love and grace and mercy and acceptance, but it's not saying, well, that doesn't count. It doesn't make any difference. Okay, so Romans 12, talking about worship once again. Apostle Paul said this. He said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All right, say this with me. Bodies, a living sacrifice. Our bodies are a living sacrifice. And that is worship. What he's saying here is, look, when you come to worship, it's not just your words. It is our words, but it's not just that. It's not just, oh, Lord, I love you right now in this moment, and I give you my heart. It is that, but it's more than that. He's saying, no, when you come to worship, you lay your bodies out before God. And you say, okay, this is yours too. This is yours too. It's all yours. And now to connect this to the Freedom Project specifically, what I produce with my body is God's. The work I do, and I get paid for it, that result is God's. In other words, my money is God's. And if I'm going to be a true worshiper of him, and if I'm going to put my body on the altar, if I'm going to come not just with words, but with my heart, with my mind, with my soul, and my body, then not only do I say, okay, you don't want me to be engaged in this sexual relationship because we're not married. Uh, Okay, God, I won't do that. If you're telling me that, I'm just going to believe you, and I'm giving you my body. I'm going to honor you with my body. Just as I do that, in the same way, I take all of my possessions, whatever, my cars, my house, my clothes, my golf clubs, whatever, whatever you have, your, your new KitchenAid mixer that you can make wonderful meals with, whatever it is, my computer, my laptop, my new phone, and I put it all, you know, and it's just kind of like we're just getting it all up, putting it up on the altar. There it is. More God. There it is. There it is, God. There it is. 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 And so often we're even willing to do that, but we say, well, my money, oh, God, that's all in the bank. Yeah, it'll take me a day or two to get it, so if you can hang on, you know. 
And in that day or two, you know, we kind of like forget about it. But no, what he wants is you take that bank account too and you just, all right, God, that is yours. See, this is worship. This is worship. And if we're going to have the full impact of worship in our lives, which what happens is this. We don't earn anything with God by worshiping, okay? We don't get any, we don't like break, we, we don't like break free from something. Even last year, I'm afraid that some people went away from the Freedom Project with the impression of, if I just give money to free these girls uh, from the sex slave trade in Asia, then God will look at me and say, way to go, buddy. I'm going to free you too. As if he's holding out until I give. That's not the way it works. We live under an open heaven. Okay, we're going to talk about this next week. I don't want to go into too much of it right now. But you know there's a promise in Malachi where God speaks and he says, test me in this. And what he's talking about is them tithing and giving to the support of the temple and worship. He says, test me in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. All right? Today, that's different. Today, heaven's already opened up because Jesus died on the cross to open heaven up. Back then, Jesus hadn't died yet. God was still gracious. God could still bless them, but they did live with a closed heaven. And when they gave, then God responded saying, okay, open the window, pour something out, and then close back up. Today, since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the heavens are open. We live under an open heaven. What that means is, if I know Jesus, the blessing's there. It's right there. And the only thing that keeps me from walking into it is my lack of seeing it, my lack of perception of it, my lack of understanding of it, and therefore, my lack of faith. And so when I do something like take three days to fast and pray, it's not like God saying, well, look at that guy. He's sacrificing so much. Don't you think we ought to cut him a break? You know, let's send a couple angels with a new gift for him or her. No, it's not it at all. What's happening is I'm clearing away the clutter. It's like in the morning when you get up and your eyes are filled with, with matter. Let's say you have, you're sick or something and, and you have to clear your eyes away so you can see. When, when we do that, it clears away the clutter so we can see. That, that's the effect. When we worship, the more we worship, and the more we say no to the distractions, the more we see of him. And therefore, the more we become like him. And, th- and that's where the whole idea of money and giving fits into this. That when I give, that doesn't gain me freedom. Jesus already gained me freedom. He already purchased it. It's already there. What that does is it's saying, I don't love this stuff. I love you. I love you more than this stuff. And so it breaks the grip that finances and possessions have on our hearts. You know, Jesus said this. He said, you can't serve God and money. Right in that context, he just said, you can't serve two masters because you either love the one and hate the other or you'll hate the one and love the other. And so he's saying it. And then he says, you can't serve God and money. Why? Because I'll either love God and I'll hate money in the sense of, Not that I hate, hate it, but just that, oh, well, it doesn't have my heart. Or I'll love money, 
And not that I'm going to hate God, but it's just like he doesn't have my heart. One or the other. See, money is God's chief rival for our hearts. It's, it's, it's his chief rival for our hearts. That's why in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Well, we're to grow in this. It's not just, uh, it's not just like, we're to grow in, in giving. We're to grow just as we grow in love, just as we grow in serving. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He's saying, yeah, grow in that too. You're growing in all these other areas. Excel in this too. Grow in this. Move ahead in your life in this. And so it's really, it's a matter of asking myself, well, am I growing as a giver? Well, some people would say, well, I've been giving my 10% for 20 years. Well, wonderful, man, God bless you. But maybe, maybe there's a point of growth here. It's time to stop and to say, okay, God, I don't want to assume that I'm living under some legal obligation and, 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 and just that if I do that, I'm okay. I want to be with you. I want to do what you're doing. What are you doing? What's the next step you have for me to move ahead and grow in this? For some of us, we may have never given or we give sporadically or irregularly. And, and we need to say, oh God, I want to be a worshiper. I want to worship you. And so show me, what's my next step in this area? What's my next step? How do you want me to respond to you? And so you see... We're either going to grow in worshiping God, worshiping Christ, and with, with that giving, growing in our giving, or we're going to fall in love with money. We're either going to worship God with it, or we're going to fall in love with it. And if we fall in love with it, that love destroys us. So it's either growing more in love with God as a worshiper, or growing more in love with money. And those, those, those are the options that Jesus gave us. And I want to grow more in love with God as a worshiper. And so I want to be able to say, God, I'm putting it all on the altar. It's all yours. And as a sign of that, I'm going to give until it hurts. I'm going to give enough that I miss it. I'm going to give enough that I could say, man, if I had just saved that, I could have bought a brand new car over the last five years. Or I'm going to give enough that I could say, yeah, we could have eaten steak instead of hamburger. I'm going to give enough that it hurts. And then I'm going to grow more beyond that. And that's, that's just so much uh, part and parcel of worship, to be worshipers. So I put this little chart in your programs, okay? It's uh, on some steps of giving, like a pre-level giver, a, um, a novice giver. What I want you to do is take that home. If you're married, read it with your spouse. If not, uh, by yourself or with a good friend and evaluate where are you. And just read through it and find out what are the three things that best describe where you are as a giver. Because if you don't know where you're starting off, then how do you take a step ahead? And as I said, there's, I believe I have a word from God on a challenge that God is giving to us. A challenge in a positive, loving way. But um, something that is going to enable us to take a step ahead and take some risk all together at the same time as a body and as a fellowship. 
you know, you know, just so take that home with you and work through that. You know, one thing I want to say, just to make sure it's clear, I don't think it always is, but who knows what a tithe is? What's tithe mean? What's the word mean? Someone just tell it. A tithe, the word tithe means 10%. It means one-tenth. And so a tithe is when a person takes their income uh, and they give 10% of it. That's what a tithe is. And so if I give, if I make $50,000 a year and I give $100 a month, that's an offering, but it's not a tithe. Do you understand? Okay, just so when you read it, I want you to make sure you understand that's what that is, okay? Because it seems like there's been some confusion on that. Now I'm going to end with just these four motivations for giving and, um, and lead right back in, lead in, into the worship set here. But the first motivation that I see, and I think this is like, I'm going to call it the lowest motivation. It's not a bad motivation, but it's the lowest. And that is to give to a compelling need. To give to a moving or a compelling need. We did that last year in the Freedom Project when we talked about people that needed to be freed from uh, heroin addiction and uh, young women and men, too, being captive and taken into the slave, sex slave trade in Southeast Asia. That was compelling. It was moving. You know, when there's a disaster someplace in the world and we see the pictures of the people that are hurting and children that are starving, those are compelling needs. And it's right that we respond because God is merciful and God is gracious and he created us in his image. And so we, we have kindness and compassion that we share with others. But the, um, the compelling need is, it, it'll fail us ultimately. It'll make us very erratic givers because that, that compelling need's gonna fade. Uh, or a compelling vision would be a second level of giving motivation. And uh, like businesses, individuals, churches have visions for where we're headed and what we're gonna do and the, the big things we're gonna do and particularly churches for God, how we're gonna impact our city and here are all the plans. But unfortunately in our culture, which is an advertisement driven culture and a media driven culture, it depends almost more on how good those people are at presenting their vision than it does on the vision itself. And so the more compelling presentation ties into our whole inclination towards advertising and big things. And I think that God wants us to respond to just simple vision. But there's nothing wrong with vision, okay? I'm not downgrading that at all. Uh, or saying that we shouldn't have it or we shouldn't share it. We need to share it more here. But, um, but it, it can be, I'm just responding to the compelling nature of it. Third thing is this. Oh, by the way, you know, um, it, it is a business today. Just like there are advertising firms, there are firms that will come into your church and help you to um, kind of like advertise your vision. And like, they'll help you raise $5 million and you only have to pay them about 100000 to do it. Um, and when we did our building program, I remember that. And I remember I stood up and I said, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to come up here and to tell you we've hired this, uh, this outside financial campaign firm and that they're going to cost us $50,000. But don't worry, they're going to get you to give a whole lot more than that. 
Does that sound, it was just seemed funny to me at the time. We didn't do that. We just, we had a simple giving campaign. Um, but um, there can be thankfulness for blessings that God's brought our way. You know, he's, he's healed someone in the family. He's restored a relationship. And giving a thank offering is a wonderful thing to do. But I think the highest, the highest motivation, the, the most powerful motivation, um, the, the one that's the most foundational, let's put it that way, is because he's worthy. We give because he's worthy. Just as I worship him, why? Because he's worthy. Because he's good. Because he's the creator God. Because his son became a human being and crushed the head of the serpent. Because he rose from the dead victorious. Because he's all knowing. Because he's all wise. Because he's all loving. We worship him for, the, we worship him for who he is. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. And when we do that, we're entering into a whole new level of worship. And then, I mean, what, what, uh, that relationship, God, that's, that's, that's not honoring you. Oh, well, of course, I'll put that in the altar. It's yours. I'll walk away from that. This, this habit, I'll leave it behind. You know, I, give, my money is yours too? Okay, here, Lord, I'll give. Then it just becomes natural because we're doing it because he is worthy. He is worthy. So we're going to read a couple of the great doxologies right now before we go into worship. And uh, they, they proclaim the worthiness of God to receive our honor and our worship. And as the worship team comes out and they get ready. I'm going to read what's happening in heaven here to you, okay? And then we're going to stand and these uh, these will come up on the screen. One of them is from the book of Revelation. The first one is from the book of Revelation. And then the second one is from Jude, the doxology in Jude. Some of you will recognize, you'll recognize both of these possibly. But um, let's stand, okay? Listen to me read the introduction and then the, the verse will be on the screen and we'll read it together. This is John in the Revelation said, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they were saying, notice, they were saying this. They weren't singing it. Sometimes they say, that's why we're starting to do declarations. And sometimes when you look at the book of Revelation and the same thing, it says they were singing. And so they were saying this with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.